Welcome to Boston's Best, a podcast where you go behind the scenes with financial planner Mark Condon as he asks industry-leading experts in and around Boston to talk about their businesses. Mark will find out what sets these companies apart from their competition and how they have risen above the inevitable challenges they have faced along the way to their ultimate success. And now, here's your host, Mark Condon. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to episode 27 of Boston's Best. The goal of this podcast is to highlight businesses in and around Boston. My guest on today's podcast is Will Nitza. Will is the founder and CEO of IQ Bar. Will grew up in northern New Jersey until he was 15, and he went to high school in Western Mass. Will was accepted into Harvard, but he had to wait a year before attending. So as a young guy with a year off, he and a friend spent the year in South Africa. When the year was up, he attended Harvard Business School, and he now lives in Southie. While he was in college, Will fell in love with psychology and why people act the way they do. Will took a marketing position with a software company, but his passion of psychology and wanting to start his own business was too big to ignore. He spoke to his boss and they agreed to cut his pay in half while cutting his hours in half. Now he was only working 25 hours a week for the software company, allowing him to dive fully into what is now called IQ Bar. In this episode, we talk in depth about the early challenges any entrepreneur faces at the beginning and when he knew he had something big with the proof of concept. Will shares how he and his team of four others handled COVID and how they were able to double the business in 2020. And be sure to listen to the end as Will shares some common misconceptions of nutrition bars what he sees for the future of the IQ branding, and how he defines success in any given year. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Boston's Best. Welcome, Will Nitza. Will is the founder and CEO of IQ Bar. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. So like I said, Will owns IQ Bar. You know, before we get into it, obviously, we'll chat about the company itself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Did you grow up are you from Massachusetts? Did you go up or grow up around here? I'm actually from New Jersey, northern New Jersey. So I grew up there for the first 15 years of my life. And then I, I went to school in Western Mass for high school. I took a year off and lived in South Africa, actually, after high school for a year. Nice. And then I went to college in I went to Harvard and Cambridge. And then I got my first job in, in Boston in the leather district and I uh, was living in Back Bay. And then I've been living in Southie for a couple of years, so a little bit all over the place, but a lot of that has been in uh, greater Boston area. Yeah. Was What made you choose South Africa? <laughs> I had an interesting situation. So I, I was going to go to Georgetown, and then the day before graduation, I was on the wait list at Harvard. And they uh, sent me an email that said, you can you can come, but you, you're going to have to wait a year. So I was like, it took about 10 minutes and then I said yes. And then I was like, okay, what the hell am I going to do for a year? Yeah. And I didn't need, there's nothing I had to do. Like I, I didn't have, they didn't mandate I got a job or anything like that. So I was like, well, I, I'll probably never get another year in my life where I could literally do anything. So I'm a big uh, soccer fan and the World Cup was in South Africa in 2010. That was when, uh, that was at that point. So my mom worked for a company called Ashoka that, man, uh, that, basically funds social entrepreneurs, nonprofit. So I started chatting with her. I was like, are there any cool social entrepreneurs uh, doing anything in South Africa? Because that would be cool if I could go work for some cool cause down there and then also, you know, be there while the World Cup is happening, the lead up to it. And, and I just, you know, there's not that many really cool places that are international, English speaking, on the beach and at the base of a mountain, you know. So 
yeah, anyway, I figured out a way how to make that work. And um, me and a friend of mine moved down there. He was taking a year off too and spent a whole year down there. Yeah, I mean, why not? You're young. You don't have too many responsibilities at that point. Why not? Why not just go? So what'd you go to Harvard for? What'd you major in? Uh, Harvard has all these weird majors, none of which map to like actual skills. But uh, <laughs> I, my major was government with a minor in psychology and neuroscience. So, but government is kind of like the major you take, you do if you don't know what you want to do with your life. Yeah. Because uh, like everything qualifies for it. Uh, so you can take tons of different disciplinary classes. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I actually discovered psychology and neuroscience later on. But that was my true interest and passion in college. I wished I'd found it sooner. But that was really the only thing I studied in college that I like genuinely enjoyed yeah. studying. And then I got a job in software. So not relevant to either of those things. But always I carried through that interest in psychology and neuroscience. And that then kind of segues into uh, what I'm doing now. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to say. Like, so that psychology. So how did you end up getting to start uh, IQ Bar? I mean, what was that point where you said you were working and then you wanted to just jump in and start your own business? Like, how did you get to that point? How did it end up being IQ Bar? I always wanted to start a business. Like, I, I always had that fantasy, you know, in starting probably in high school of like, well, what if I could be my own boss and create just the, the concept of creating something from nothing is to me like the coolest thing you can do, especially if it's a tan I've always been interested in tangible things. So create like an actual thing that people use in their daily lives that you created and they, they get value from. That's just like a cool concept to me. And you know, I kinda was coming of age at a time when like entrepreneurship started getting really cool. Like entrepreneurship didn't used to be cool. Right. And now it is really cool. Yeah. So it's like, you know, entrepreneurs are the rock quote unquote rock stars now. So <laughs> I just got kind of like really interested in that and startups in general. And so anyway, I was I wanted to do I wanted to do my own thing at some point. Uh, I didn't know what it was. But um, after kicking around a lot of ideas in college, even in my spare time when I had my first job out of college, I quickly came to the realization that really two things happened. I didn't like my job, really, uh, or I wasn't very passionate about what I was doing out of college. So I got to see the other coin of the uh, other side of the coin of uh, working for sizable organization, having a boss, having a boss's boss, doing something you're not really passionate about. And then also having a couple other realizations of uh, kicking around ideas in my own head of things that I could do, I could own like tip to tail, I could create the product myself, understand the product, formulate the product. And so there's these all these forces happening at the same time when I was like 25, 26. So it was kind of my my reason for starting a company was a confluence of like 10 different things. It was like yeah. not liking what I was doing, in the corporate world, I got really into nutrition to get more specific. I got really into nutrition and really interested in uh, food and beverage. Okay. And that was a space where I thought, well, I could do this. I, I It's going to be really, really tough, but at least I can put in a zillion hours and figure it out and do it and make this thing. I don't need to hire an engineer. I don't need to hire a coder. Like, I can own this and do this. So yeah, I don't think... Like, I think I needed all of those things to ultimately take the leap and start a business. Like, had I loved my job, 
I, I don't know if I would have, yeah. you know, taken the leap had I not come to this realization of the specific space that I could operate in, in a startup context and thing that's things I could create. Like, had I not had those ideas, I don't know if I could do it, but like the combination of all those things meant that ultimately I felt comfortable bagging the, the corporate world and striking out and doing my own thing. That's awesome. And so did you just quit the corporate world altogether? Did you work part-time while you worked on this? I mean, it's got to be hard to start your own start your own business and you know without having an income coming in. Yeah. I recommend to everyone, don't quit your job. <laughs> well, I mean, it depends on like where you're at in life. If you have a yeah. zillion dollars saved, then sure, quit your job. But you know, I was like 20, uh, you know, again, 24, 25, 26. I have no kids. I had no dependents. I could drastically cut down my cost of living. There just wasn't all that. I, I hadn't climbed the corporate ranks so much that like I was giving up some incredible senior job. Like there just really wasn't a ton of risk to leaving. That being said, I didn't know the timeline at the outset of how long would it take me to develop a product and launch the product and all that. And so I made a very conscious decision not to quit and to work, you know, I utilized nights and weekends, which is a lot of hours to do all those things. And it took about a year, much longer than I thought. I thought, well, you know, what's it going to take? Three, four months. And, you know, ultimately everything takes four times longer than you want it to. Yeah. Which again is why you don't quit your job. If you're interested in doing something, just do enough to not get fired <laughs> and that and last as long as you can until you're really ready. Right. There's another path, which is actually more more reflective of the path I took, which was I literally went into my boss's office and I said, look, I want to start my own thing. Here's what I would propose. What if I you cut my salary in half, you cut my hours in half, and I still think I can add a ton of value. I think I have a skill set that it would be hard to replace quickly, but I want to do this, but I'd also like to work for you half time said, oh, let me think about it. And then a couple of days later, he said, okay. So nice. I cut my hours down to like 25 hours a week. So I had a ton of time and that was just enough where I could like pay my rent, pay my grocery bills, pay my phone bill. And I was saving, saving nothing, but I was like surviving. I was living. Right. And I think that's like a, a uniquely good setup. I don't know how many people could do that. But look, if you make yourself valuable in any job, it's hard to replace you. Yeah. And I think you'd be surprised at what your boss or your company will do to keep you because losing you is going to be extremely painful for them, especially on short notice. So I think people under appreciate their leverage uh, if they're good, if they're good. If you're not good, you have no leverage. But <laughs> I think people generally underappreciate. So you can get really creative with how to mitigate risk um, at the outset of a new venture. Yeah, that's a really unique situation. That's cool. Your boss allowed you to do that too. Get just I love that story too. You're just getting by just enough to scrape by to work on your new passion. So how does it start from I mean you decide to start this this, you know, these health bars. How does it start from how do, where do you even begin to formulate ingredients and just the whole process? How do you how do you even begin that that entire experience? I mean, I had no background in that whatsoever. I didn't know anyone who had background in it. So my first, this is a general principle I believe in for like anything in life, which is if you don't know how to do something, call 10 people who do yeah. and ask them like 50 questions. So that's what I did. I 
called up or emailed every food and beverage entrepreneur in Boston. And I said, Hey, I'm thinking of starting this thing. I know you, you've had success. Would it be okay if I bought you a coffee? And I did that. And I talked to 10 people. And then I was like, well, I asked the question you just asked me. I was like, well, where do you start? Like, how do you manufacture something? How do you source ingredients? What should my cost of goods generally be? Stuff like that. Yeah, you get different answers from different people too. That's what you'll learn. Like, don't take anyone's answer as gospel, but it at least gives you a place to start. And then you can form your own opinions. You know, that was how I started. And then you just sort of learn as you go and you just like talk to people incessantly. Just talk to as many people as you can. Like your first year should just be information gathering and just get a prototype made and it's going to be flawed in a bunch of ways, but then at least you have a base and you can start just solving problem after problem after problem after problem after problem and ultimately get to the right place. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you're never going to have the perfect solution immediately. You just got to start. I tell people, if you want to do something, just start. You're going to be frustrated, but it's going to be well worth it in the long run. You just need to start. Once you start, you can figure out how to tweak things here and there to make things make things better. Yeah. You also have to have no ego. You have to, which I think smart people have a problem with, like people who are like, oh, well, I'm good at all these other things. And people have told me I'm good at these other things. It's scary to be really not good at something that just comes down to your ego. Like you have to totally depress your ego and be like, I'm an idiot in this area. (laughs) How do I become a smart person in this area? And you have to be willing to ask what you probably think are quote unquote dumb questions, but yeah. who cares? No, I, I couldn't agree with that more. So what are some of the early challenges that you faced? I imagine that's a pretty long list. Uh, and what are some of the six early successes that you celebrated when you started at Bar? When did you know you got to the point where like, I got something here? Right away, because we did a Kickstarter. That was really the determinant of like, do, are people interested in this? And we had sold no, no units. And then we all of a sudden sold 2,000 units and sold between, between Kickstarter and Indiegogo about $90,000 worth of product right out the gate. Wow. And so right away, I was like, okay, people are at least intrigued by this. Yeah. And when the, whether or not it has lasting power, who knows, but they're at least, it's at least not a dumb idea. Proof of concept. And so it's all relative. Like I, I was never interested in moving slowly. So I always wanted more and more and more and more validation and, and to improve quicker. And so that was great. But then it was like, well, okay, how do we get to the next stage? Cause that's such a, that's a proof of concept, but like barely. So how do we really prove the concept? And so then we got into our, really our first big retailer, which is CBS. And that was like a new proof of concept. Like, okay. Like a retailer is interested. So maybe this is an even, you know, that just added to the proof of concept and then started growing online. And you know, it's, it's just sort of like a snowball effect, but all along the way, you don't really ever, you're never really like, Oh, we did it. We got it. You're, you're way more focused on the 15 problems that are happening at any given time. So like, you know, we got into CVS, but all these operational problems happened or we're growing online, but you know, we got these 15 bad reviews and how do we fix the problems they, they mention in their reviews. And so you rarely like smell the roses. You're mostly yeah. focused on putting out fires and like most of the job is putting out fires. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it, there's very little high-fiving going on. <laughs> you have the occasional massive high-five when you're like, boom, we landed Wegmans or whatever. Right. And then you're back to like just problem solving. It's, it's constant problem solving. So as far as getting into places like Wegmans, do you just walk in? You know, do you just start calling calling people that you know, how do you how do you go about that? I mean, I love the like the grassroots strategy. No, you don't walk in. I mean, there are places where you can just walk in, but you know, that any big chain is gonna have a what you know, what's called a category manager yeah. uh, or a buyer. And they are basically the decision maker for their category. So like our category would be nutritional bars. Yeah. And that person, and there's what's called reviews. So sometimes there's one review a year, sometimes there's two, sometimes there's four. Um, and basically in the review, the category manager looks at their set, just like call it like whatever, 30 brands. And uh, they say, okay, well, who's performing well, who's not performing well. And basically they open up themselves to reviewing new products that could swap. They could swap out poor performers for good, you know, what they think could be good performers. And so you basically submit your, you know, an application for review and send samples. And then you get on a, in this case, you get on a Zoom call. You used to be able to meet in person. And, you know, they ask you a bunch of questions and you talk price points and the review is done and you get in or you don't. But there's definitely a, a big sort of momentum piece to it. You know, if you're carried in certain it's it's much harder to get your first retailer than it is to get your 10th retailer. And actually, interestingly, increasingly, having a, a big, successful online presence is now helping with getting into brick and mortar uh, stores, oh, get out. which didn't used to be the case. But it's so digital has grown so much in the food and bev space that you can now go to a buyer and be like, well, I have 10,000 customers in your area that buy from us on Amazon. Um, and that then then they're like it's just he risks it for them clearly there's a customer base etc and you have all data because they're digital customers whereas you saying well we're in these stores and it's like okay that's cool but i don't that's from a data standpoint not as powerful so that's been an interesting shift because we're a digital 70 percent of our revenue is digital wow Um, so that's something we have seen i think uniquely yeah, you've seen that uptick uh, throughout the last, call it 10, 12 months or so, specifically? Oh, for sh- for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, not to say we haven't had major challenges with brick and mortar. You know, it, it's so category specific. Like nutritional bars are down in brick and mortar because singles, so like one single yeah. item. So like, and really singles of anything, a Snickers bar, gum, mints, yeah. all that's down because it's more broadly referred to as grab and go is down. So it's not good for us in brick and mortar, but the uptick in digital is so huge that it allows us to to still succeed. Yeah, I mean, people's, uh, I mean, we've, we're in this COVID thing for almost a year now. So everyone's yeah. patterns have solidly changed and they're not changing back anytime soon. So, I mean, we are now in a e-commerce world 100%. fully. Yeah. Uh, so on top of that, you know, I guess we can get into COVID a bit. Like outside of just that one aspect, how has COVID impacted yourself and IQ Bar? It's all a mix, mixed bag, um, yeah. honestly. And and sometimes it's hard to tease out, like, would we have grown 
regardless of COVID, this amount, or like it's hard to tease out the exact impact of COVID, but there's certain things that unequivocally just did impact. Like we had all these and still have all these challenges with supply chain and operations that are related to COVID. Like we import some packaging, for example, and you can't get, there's not enough room on the boat to ship stuff to the U.S. and there are delays and you know, uh, one of the biggest negative things is just supply chain and operations yeah. issues. And Amazon warehouses are, you know, way oversaturated. And yeah. there's 15, 15 tractor trailers waiting in a line at an Amazon distribution center and can't get product there. And just a whole host of issues uh, operationally and, and supply chain wise. So that's kind of like the negative impact. And then again, I, another negative impact is brick and mortar for our categories, not, it's not a great environment, uh, for COVID. No one wants to be the 10th person to reach into a box of bars, uh, when everyone's a germaphobe and is, you know, wants multi-packs. But, uh, on the upside, again, this is the benefit of being a digital first business. We, we had the infrastructure set up to be able to withstand a big uptick in demand, which we experienced. Yeah. Um, we still grew a lot uh in, in, great. in 2020 doubled the business even though wow we had some very touch and grow touch and go uh months there march april but yeah those are kind of the macro trends for us yeah that's amazing though even through 2020 you, you doubled the business i mean that that's awesome that's awesome to hear because you're right like you mentioned the restaurant industry certain industries like it just sucks you know you just feel bad for them like they can't do they're just trying to get by right now with all the rules and regulations and then certain industries have been more prosperous uh, due to everything going on. It's just, it's, it's wild how, how different everything is. So how do you, how do you guys market? How have you marketed yourselves? What have you found to be a good use of marketing? What have you found to be a poor use of marketing up to this point? I mean, paid advertising that is in the right place and targeted to the right people and targeted in the right way has been very, very successful for us. Mm -hmm. Amazon in particular, so search advertising. So if someone types in keto bar, we yeah. want to show up and we want to convert at a high rate. Programmatic advertising. So showing up like with the little square advertisements in the side of your screen, largely on Amazon. You know, Google AdWords, we do Facebook ads are quit and are, are successful for us. We dabbled in uh, podcast advertising, but you know, we're raising a bit of money now and we'll have some cash to start exploring some other things as well. You know, more podcasts, make a push more into, you know, PR. Like we do so little with, with PR and getting articles written about us and things yeah. like that. I think there's a lot more we can do. It, it's You're never doing as much as you want to do. You, you know, we're a five-person team and everyone's running around like a chicken with its head cut off. You wish you had 10 people and you could do twice as many things. And, but it's just like, you know, you really have to prioritize. And so one of our big things for 2021 is what are the platforms are really going to hammer let's really hone in on our brand voice really hammer excellent content and all that you know i think we've been doing a good job but you can always do a better job but yeah one of the big pushes i also want to make is in organic content so you know there are platforms like linkedin where you can just get such a big reach for free we're not tapping into that, you know. TikTok is like this weird new platform. Like, should we be on it? Should we not? Like, who, yeah. who knows? Like, I don't use it personally, but right. clearly, it's big. Yeah. So these are all things we're thinking about. 
Yeah, I've heard that from a few different people. LinkedIn, the organic reach is incredible right now. Facebook, I've heard, has gone down a ton uh, lately. So I was surprised when you said that you've had some success on Facebook. But yeah, TikTok, I'm not on TikTok. I feel like it's like a teenager thing, but it gets a ton of organic reach. So if that's where you're going to get some reach from a business perspective, it's definitely something to, to look into. And you bring up a good point. I didn't realize you guys were only a five-person company growing it to the size it is. I mean, that, that's that's incredible. There's always going to be something that you feel like you're not doing that you should be doing. But I think that's just the the standard when it comes to running a business. There's always going to be something. You're always expanding and growing. And then there's something else that's gonna you're going to want to get into. So, I mean, there's, there's plenty of health, you know, nutrition bars, companies out there. It's a, it's a huge industry. Why do you think you've been so successful up to this point? Yeah, I mean that's that's the first thing anyone ever says to me when I tell them the industry I'm in is <laughs> how crowded it is. Yeah, and uh, my take has always been going to really big, really crowded, really competitive markets and outperform rather than smaller, medium sized, less competitive markets. So you know, there's a reason there's a lot of players there. It's a huge market, but within that market, there's a huge. It's actually quite homogenous. They're, you know, most bars are generally serving the same purpose. And so if you can go into that huge market and be truly different or have a different spin on it, you have the ability to steal a lot of market share. Yeah. And that's really what I, I believe we've done. I think that's one of the reasons why we've been successful. So, you know, certainly we're the brain kind of component is, is a unique spin on the category. No one's really doing that other than us. But also even like nutritionally, there's so few bars that are, you know, call it one gram sugar, a few grams of net carbohydrates, keto, plant-based that are high in protein, you know, and clean label. There's just not that many bars like that. So I think a lot of bars, you you make a compromise. You're like, oh, this is kind of clean label, but it's pretty high sugar. But, it, you know, I'm going to prioritize a clean label thing and I'll buy it anyway. Or oh, this is a protein bar. It's whey protein. I prefer not to have animal protein, but whatever. I want that number of grams of protein. So our whole goal is create something that where you just you just don't have to compromise anything. And it's really, really hard. But if you can get there, you can be a, a big a big company because it's a $8 billion category. So is, And how'd you come up with the name IQ Bar? Is that just due to your love of psychology? Well, originally I was going to call it Noggin Bar which is a okay. terrible name, but, uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, it's sort of like, I wanted something short. I wanted something where immediately you get it. Like everyone knows what IQ is. It's, it's right. not, there's no, I mean, it's not like Will's bar where it's like, okay, that's a guy's name. Like, why am I buying this? Right. You know, I want you to know why you're buying it just yeah. by looking, just by hearing the name. And then also like, you want to have sort of more of, of an ethereal quality to the name rather than like a physiological quality to name so we called it like brain bar that's kind of gross you're like oh am i eating <laughs> brains you know like it's yeah kind of there's a lot of psychology that goes into how someone's going to perceive a name sure and so iq is just sort of like this objective metric everyone knows what it is it signifies like intelligence it's short it's to the point globally recognized so you could sell this to china and they would get it it's a global metric but yeah i think about this a lot like because we also call ourselves iq bar right so that sort of hinders your ability to go into other categories right true um sort of like rx bar right 
versus say Quest Nutrition, where they can have Quest Bar and then Quest chips and Quest peanut butter cups. And so what we're likely going to do is evolve to become IQ Life, yep. and then under IQ Life will be IQ Bar, IQ Mix, IQ. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. That's interesting. That was going to be something that I was going to bring up. Like you could always just pivot to IQ something else because IQ is it's yep. a it's a sticky it's a sticky name. It's catchy. It's very, like you said, it's very simple to the point. People know what it is, but now you can just pivot. You can just use the IQ lettering in the, you know, the meaning behind it and just pivot into other, other categories. Is that, so is that something you see for the future? Like eventually you guys pivot into different type of categories? Yeah. Uh, actually, shortly we're launching a hydration mix. So electrolytes plus adaptogens plus magnesium. Uh, this specific kind of magnesium called magnesium theranate, which is a brain. It's the only magnesium your brain can absorb. So yeah, it's pretty cool. So we'll, we'll be really the first electrolyte, you know, hydration beverage of its kind and very brain focused, really sort of similar to liquid IV geared towards the everyday user. Like I want people consuming this at their desk, not necessarily going head to head with Gatorade on the playing field. Yeah. So that will be called IQ Mix, and every everything will be IQ and then three letters, bar, mix. Okay. We're going to come out with a coffee line called Joe, IQ Joe. But yeah, it's it's a whole new process, new manufacturing. You got to like, yeah, I, I, it's kind of like starting a new business, but yeah. knowing a lot more than you knew the first time. So new manufacturer, new uh, form factor. It's a powder, right. new packaging. It's a supplement now instead of a food product. It's, so it's... It's, you know, it's a lot of work. The whole idea is create this cohesive umbrella of, yep. of categories that all makes sense. Yeah. That's really, that's cool. That's awesome. What's the timeline on, on the release of something like that on the, the IQ mix? I wish I could say I, it's so hard to peg it down because especially with COVID and stuff always keeps getting delayed uh, and um, we're doing a pilot run shortly. But my hope is realistically April, probably. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, I mean, so that's yeah, not, not too far out. Yeah, it's only yeah. a few months out. That's fairly soon. That's awesome, man. That's great. So what are what do you think are some common myths and misconceptions about the nutrition bar industry? That's an interesting question. No one's ever asked me that. I would <laughs> say misconceptions, people perceiving things that are quote unquote healthy to be healthy is a big right. one. I think that's a misconception more broadly for like all food and beverage categories. But I would agree. Things we once thought were healthy, like juice, we right. now know isn't really because it has a zillion grams of sugar. sugar yeah. um, that's why the whole juice revolution totally stalled out, right? So then the like bar category, you know, just look at how much sugar is, and like that's a good starting point. Just yeah. look at the sugar, and if it's above ten grams, like what? Why are you doing that? You right. don't need to do that. You don't need to put that much sugar in your body. And oftentimes it's above 20 grams. And so it's like, you're eating this small thing and putting that much sugar in your body. Why are you, why are you doing that? Right. You know, sometimes those products are, are sort of framed as being quote unquote healthy. You know, so that's a big one. And then like everything else sort of comes down to what's right for you. You know, do you want to consume dairy or not consume dairy? It is important to consume soy or not consume soy, you know, animal, animal protein versus vegan protein. Like, I won't get into all that, but like, yeah. just, um, read the label. Just, just yeah. look at the label. Don't, don't, don't be so persuaded by good branding or packaging or marketing or whatever. Just 
look at the objective facts on a product because you have all these products that are just perceived to be healthy and then they get to be huge businesses because they're perceived to be healthy. I agree. I feel like a lot of people just look at the packaging. And I think to my childhood growing up, I mean, I had cereal and either apple juice or orange juice for breakfast every morning. And you think I look back at it and it's just, I I know me too. Like 50 grams of sugar. I mean, it's just, it blows my mind that that's how I probably started every single day. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm being into health and nutrition as well. And I, I don't think too many people look at the actual ingredients inside, you know, inside of any product. You know, if I'm shopping, if I'm looking at something, it looks great. The more ingredients that are in there, the, the less likely I'm probably, it's probably any good for you. I guess it depends on each different, uh, each line, I guess. But one thing you just brought up, you know, you mentioned different types of protein, keto, gluten. Is it difficult to keep up with all of these different types of trends and to have something that tailors to, you know, somebody that is just keto, or, you know, or wants to be gluten free or doesn't want, you know, whey protein, they want the vegan protein. How, how is it difficult to keep up with all that? And do you focus on that? Or you just try to focus on, you know, a specific market, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot about it. I focus on it heavily, because uh, <laughs> it's super important. And people, people will let you know if they like something or not very vocally. So, you know, you have to at some point, just like pick the profile you're going for. So either you're a vegan profile, or you're not, you know, that's yeah. just something you have to pick. And, and if people want whey protein, like, who care? Like they're not your customer and that's okay. There's not, there's enough customers to go around. So, but within that, those bigger sort of big seismic decisions of framing your product up, there's a lot of sub decisions you can make. So, okay, I want a plant-based protein bar. Well, or you can use hemp protein or you can use pumpkin seed protein or you can use pea protein or you can use rice protein or <laughs> you can use blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And there's a lot of ways you can go. There's, there's certainly like analysis paralysis that can happen. And you also don't want to constantly change what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, I think about it all the time, but there's so many variables you have to weigh. Like think about cost, right? So when I started out, I was like, okay, I want to have this in the, in the product and this in the product and this in the product. Then you're like, well, okay, the bar is going to cost $5. (laughs) No one's going to buy that. And if no one buys it, there's no point in you putting the stuff in the in the right. first place. So it's like such a delicate balance of your label cleanness and your cost and then the nutritional output. And it, there's so many trade-offs where like I could use this ingredient that's gonna add three cents a unit. Is that gonna make a difference to the customer? Yeah. Like yeah, maybe if no, like don't do it. If yes, maybe do it. It's such a delicate balance of like 10 different variables. Yeah. But generally, my like what I, my takeaway over time has been err on the side of just a better quality product because you're going to create more loyal customers and you'll give up some margin maybe, but you're going to make up for it in terms of moving more units. That's kind of where I've netted out. My my philosophy is sort of seesawed on that over time. But that's where I'm at now. That's fair. You know, so we talked a lot about the company itself. I mean, how about yourself? Like, what do you see for the future? I mean, do you... Outside of being physically or you know mentally incapable of working, do you picture yourself retiring? I find people with entrepreneurial you know mindsets uh, not sure if they can ever actually just stop working, but some people can, some people can. <laughs> I'm I'm 30 years old, so I'm definitely not going to stop working anytime soon, um, <laughs> or or ever probably. No, I mean that's a lot of fun. I I, I right. genuinely enjoy it. Uh, I don't know what else I would do with my time. I don't yeah. enjoy sitting around drinking 
martinis. So yeah, I mean, it's like, I view it as like, keep levering up right. what you want to do. So like do the first thing. And if you succeed, that helps you do the next slightly yeah. bigger thing. And then just like, yeah. it's all a stepping stone to the next thing. And, and it's not always linear. You might stumble and totally sure. fail. And then you got to start the stepping stone again. But no, I mean, I, I have, uh, like I have this concept of, uh, in the alcohol industry, like going into the alcohol alternative industry and like, that's way more capitally intensive. You probably need some cash to yeah. do that more so than a nutrition bar. Well, okay. I really succeed at this. I can make some cash that I can then invest into creating this bigger thing. Right. So no, I'm always viewing like any one thing as a potential path to a next thing. No, it's a great answer. I, I'm the same way. I I can't. I, it just looks boring to me. It's just I don't know. I don't know what I'd do. A few days away, a week away, sure. But it just it just looks boring to me to to not be doing something. You said you're not. You know you don't enjoy the martini. Uh, you know the daily martini. What are some things you do outside of running IQ Bar? Like what are some of the hobbies you enjoy? Uh, I I run like four ish miles a day, which I like a lot. It's very like methodical oh, wow. and just helps me clear my head and so i, I, I didn't I actually used to hate running and now i like it a lot I, I sort of look forward to it what else do i do i don't do that much you yeah. know i don't it's uh entrepreneurship is yeah. all consuming in many ways so i watch a lot of tv at night while i'm like passively writing emails and uh as, as exciting as that sounds but <laughs> no i i, I the dirty secret of entrepreneurship is well, it's not really a secret. It's kind of <laughs> apparent, but uh, it really does take over your life. Like yeah. you have to be willing to devote your full life to doing that and for however long. Like you could be in it for seven to ten years. So fortunately, your hobbies and social life go by the wayside. No, I, I, I totally agree. And I think you know, like you mentioned earlier at the start of the episode, you know, entrepreneurship wasn't a like a thing when you decided to you know, 10 years ago, it wasn't a thing. Now it's a thing. It's like that cool thing to do. But I think maybe it's my personal opinion. I think a lot of people underestimate how much work it really is to to start a company. I mean, it's all consuming. You are like living and breathing IQ bar every single day. You know, it'll pay off in the long run. Maybe, you know, it's your it's your personality as it is. You just it's all consuming and you enjoy it. But that's the grunt work that a lot not a lot of people put in to enjoy, you know, the successes later in life of of creating creating your own life. Well, the best way is I've heard it put is like it basically compresses, let's say, a 30 year career into three years. Yeah. So in every way. So the amount of work you need to do, the amount of functions you need to serve at one point in time, yeah, yeah at, at a single point in time, but also the amount of money you make. You can make as much money as you would have made in 30 years in three years. So yep. it's like everything is leveled up. Yep. So and that's inclusive of the work, the stress the time and the money. Yeah. It's just compressing a full career into a much, much shorter time frame. So be ready for that. It's not all fun. Yeah. Well, last couple of questions. You know, you said you're 30 years old. It's not too long ago, but if you could tell your 18 year old self one thing, what would you tell him? I would tell him not to stress some, you know, the little things, like things you thought I thought mattered, just don't in retrospect. I mean, even in like into college, like you obsess over like, or at least I did over like getting a job. I would think people respected or things like that. And it's just like a lot of it doesn't matter in the end. And 
I don't know. I, I wouldn't even, I think some people would be like, well, I wish I started earlier. Um, or I wish I'd built these skills. I actually don't think that necessarily. I think like, don't like stave off the stressful part of your life. It's going to come. Yeah. You have your whole career to be stressed. Explore as much as possible. Have as much fun as you can in high school and college, especially if you want to be an entrepreneur, because that's going to all, it's going to help make you a more well-rounded person, a better generalist. Yeah. And you, you, like flex your creative muscles at those points in your life. But I think of a, about life in a compartmentalized way, like that's that period. And then you graduate and now you better build some skills. Yeah. Like quickly, yeah. you better get good at Excel and PowerPoint and running a meeting and pitching people. So it's not to say that those aren't important. I just think they're, you know, stage out your, your, your life and don't, don't like people think they have to be the 20 year old entrepreneur. Like no. there's no, I don't know why. I mean, uh, <laughs> why? Well, you're not, you're going to be way smarter when you're 30 than you are when you're 20. 100%. Yeah. No, that's, that's funny. That's very true. A lot of people think you got to be the, the young kid that's just going to be a billionaire at 20. I was an idiot when I was 20. Like, <laughs> truthfully, yeah, me, like, me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm 36. I feel like I'm way smarter now than I was that long ago. Uh, so, all right. Last question. I've asked every, you know, every guest on the podcast this question. Everyone has a varying depiction of what success looks like to them. So what does success look like to you? How do you define success? Success to me is creating something that many people find value in that they didn't have before you created it. Uh, it's kind of as simple as that. Like, yeah, if you can have, if you can create something that a thousand people use and like love and like part of their daily life, like you're a successful person. Yeah. Those people didn't have that thing before you created it. Yeah. You fundamentally changed what, how they live their life, maybe in a small way. It could be like a hair clip, yeah. but you succeeded in changing that way. They put their hair up. That's like my very basic definition. And then there's like a bunch of variations on top of that. Like true success would be, you can do whatever the hell you want, whenever you want. Like yeah. that's, I'd say, I'd say success maps very cleanly to freedom. And not necessarily, it's not so clean, right? You might inherit a ton of money and you have a lot of freedom. That's not success. No. But I would say self-created success. If you can create your own freedom where it didn't exist before, that's true success. Yeah, that's awesome. No, I think that's a great answer. I, I agree with all of that. Awesome. Well, this was awesome, man. I appreciate you coming on, uh, talking about yourself, how you got started at QBAR itself. We'll make sure we promote all of the social media. We'll throw LinkedIn on there too. That way you cool, can cool. some LinkedIn target audience. <laughs> but thanks for the time, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to say thank you for checking out my podcast. I really do appreciate the love I've received for this show. I believe now more than ever, any exposure to local businesses is great for them to receive. And I'm trying to do my part. If you are a local business owner or someone you know in the Boston area that would like to be featured on the podcast, please email me at bostonsbestpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please follow this podcast. It's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. You can also find us on Instagram with the handle at Boston's Best underscore podcast, as well as Facebook at facebook.com backslash Boston's Best podcast. Again, I truly appreciate the great feedback for this show and stay tuned for each new episode every Friday at 8 a.m. Take care.